A passage from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give to him will be Come in him, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who, called, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you on this chilly Palm Sunday morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Andrew Wild, and if this is your first Sunday with us, I want to extend to you a special welcome, and we hope you'll come to discover this is not only a great place to worship the Lord on Sunday morning, but also a wonderful community to be a part of. We're not only an event that you tend on the weekend, we're also a local expression of the body of Christ. And there's a place for you here. We'd love to help you get connected. And when you, when you leave the service and you walk out those double doors, you'll find your way into this big, large, open area we call our coffee bar. And we hope you'll hang out there for a moment and give us a chance to meet you and get a cup of coffee, have a muffin, and then stop by our welcome center. Well, as many of you know, next Sunday we'll celebrate the most important event in the history of mankind the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
the empty tomb was the greatest game changer ever. And as we prepare our hearts to enter into the joy of Easter, I want to make mention of a special service that we'll have this Thursday evening, a Monday Thursday service in the gym. We hope you'll join us for that. And then on Easter morning, we'll have three services, and we hope many of you will just wake up a little bit earlier and and come join us at that 8 a.m. service. And as you might imagine, Easter presents a wonderful opportunity, a unique opportunity for us to help people discover the joy of following Jesus. And, And this opportunity is truly a team effort. You know, God, God gives all of us different spiritual gifts. There's no such thing as like the total package when it comes to spiritual gifts. Nobody gets them all. And so what he expects is, is for us to, to lock arms and to serve together with one another in a very interdependent way. And we'd love to have you lock arms with us on Easter morning. There's a couple ways you can do that. You could, you could serve on one of our Sunday morning ministry teams, or you could also serve with us back in Noah's Ark or Kids Rock. And I just want to say what happens in, in those two venues, Kids Rock and Noah's Ark, it's so important to us as a church because we feel like one of our jobs as a church is to reflect Jesus, to represent Jesus to the world. And so we know that while Jesus was here, while he was on this earth, he demonstrated a great love for children. And so we feel like it's important for us as a church, if we're supposed to represent Jesus, that we should demonstrate a love for all the children who come in our doors. And so we do that by being ready to, to receive them, to welcome them, to minister them when they come on our doors. And if you'd like to, to partner with us in this way, by reflecting Jesus, you, you can just write Noah's Ark or Kids Rock on your Hey, I'm Here card, and someone will be in touch with you later in the week. Currently, our greatest need is for a few more volunteers at our 11 o'clock service in Noah's Ark. Now, I realize that this being Palm Sunday, when you think of Palm Sunday, The passage of Scripture that that Abby read for us earlier might not immediately come to mind. It's not a text we traditionally associate with Palm Sunday. But I think we'll come to discover that this is a passage that provides us with with rich encouragement in light of where we are in the church calendar. This is an especially relevant portion of Scripture for us to ruminate on as we head into the start of Passion Week. And if you have a Bible with you, I'm just going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The chapter centers around a conversation that takes place between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And rather than give a more traditional outline like here's the three headings, we're just going to step through this passage. And as we do so, we're just going to make some application as we go. So I'm going to begin reading now in John, chapter 4, verse 4. We find these words. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. So here we are. I want you to picture this with me. Jesus has just been hanging out in the vicinity of Jerusalem, like the power center of his day, the modern-day equivalent of like Washington, D.C. or New York City, and he's gained quite a bit of notoriety. The beginning of the chapter begins by telling us that, uh, that the Pharisees have caught wind that Jesus has gained, he's attracted more disciples than John the Baptist. 
So he's turned into kind of a big deal. And in, in, in John chapter 3, we see that, that Jesus has, has just received like a night visitor, one, one of the uh, most influential leaders of the day, this total insider in Judean politics, this guy named Nicodemus comes knocking on his door and requests this private meeting. And, and, and as far as social hierarchies go, Nicodemus is, is like upper crust. He, he's, he's got a membership to the Mount of Olives Country Club. He's got a reserved parking spot in front of the temple. This guy's a big deal, and he's known for his piety. And, and, and now, like one chapter later, Jesus is in the, the, this backwater town in, in Samaria. This is a town that's got like one stoplight, like, you know, uh, a, a video rental store and a, and a laundromat. That's it. And, 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 and here comes this woman who's like on the total opposite side of the social scale. She, she's a woman of ill repute. And she comes strolling up. And you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't write her off. He, he doesn't look at her and say, ah, you know, look at the way that she's living. Look what she's doing with her life. She, forget about it. She's not going to be a great candidate. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't size her up and say, ah, this, 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 this isn't going to be worth my time. Instead, he looks at her like she's a human being. He doesn't write her off. But you know, you know who has a tendency to write off people? We do, don't we? We can look at people and we can, we can jump to conclusions. We can look at the way they're dressed or we can, we can make assumptions because of their, you know, their behavior that, ah, you know, they, they wouldn't be a good person to talk with Jesus about. And Jesus says, I want you to follow my example. He, he sees this woman as someone who's made in the image of God, and he engages her. He says, give me a drink. And this woman's shocked. She's flabbergasted that Jesus would initiate a conversation with her. And so the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And, and the gospel writer he, he adds this parenthetical comment for those of us who, who, who are non-Jews. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So in that culture, it was kind of taboo for a man to go and initiate a conversation with a woman. And, and Jewish people certainly didn't go chatting up Samaritans. But that's what Jesus does. Even though there's some serious animosity here, the, the, the fact that Jesus would even consider drinking from a, a, a vessel that this woman has had in her hands is, is stunning to her. The Samaritans were regarded by the Jews as, as half-breeds. You see, uh, hundreds of years prior to the arrival of Jesus, there was the northern kingdom, and God allowed the northern kingdom to be conquered by the Assyrians because of the idolatry that existed in the northern kingdom. And so what happened is after these people were conquered, the, the Assyrians brought in other conquered people into this area to kind of repopulate it. And so what happened was this remnant that remained from the northern kingdom intermingled with these people from other nations. And, and, and the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans for this. Now, now the Samaritans still remained monotheistic, 
But what happened is over time that they, they began to put their own spin on things. They kind of developed their own rival religion. They, they, they rejected much of the Old Testament, but they kept this kind of modified version of the first five books of the law that were conducive, that were supportive of their own religious practices. And so all the cultural norms of Jesus' day would have dictated, would have pressured, would have just encouraged him to remain silent and just to let this woman go on her way. But you know what Jesus says? He says, who cares what other people think? He came to seek and to save the lost. And so he initiates a spiritual conversation with this woman. He, he completely disregards the societal expectations of his day in order to talk with this woman about her faith. And this is an, a timely encouragement for us. Do you know how we often let ourselves off the hook when it comes to talking to other people about Jesus? Societal expectations, don't we? Cultural norms. So, so according to our culture, what are the two things that you're not supposed to talk about in a social setting? Politics and religion. Yeah, and so we, we can kind of tell ourselves, I'm just being polite. And we can excuse ourselves from obedience by saying things like, well, you know, pe people just don't talk about their faith where I work. Or, you know, it's kind of an unwritten rule that in, in our family gatherings, we just, we don't talk about our religious beliefs. But can we all agree that, that this isn't a great excuse for turning a deaf ear to what Jesus asks of us? That this isn't a great excuse? And I, and I get not wanting to come across as weird, but there's a difference between being weird and being courageous. And Jesus says, don't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And the challenge I see here for us is that for all of us who are followers of Jesus is that we should be more concerned with the eternal destiny of others than we should be with what other people think or with cultural norms or societal expectations. And you know, it's no surprise that we're talking about this the week before Easter. From a sociological standpoint, this is the best possible time to talk to someone about your faith and invite them to church. People know Easter's coming. They walk in the stores, they see the Easter dresses, they see the Easter baskets, they see the Easter eggs, they, they, they see the peeps, they see the Cadbury chocolate, they know Easter's coming. And, and, and it's kind of like how people who, who won't watch a game of college basketball from November to, to February will all of a sudden feel compelled to fill out a bracket in March. You, you know, okay? Like, it's kind of like how, um, you know, I'm not really interested in Major League Soccer, but once every four years, I'm into soccer. When the World Cup comes, I'll watch some soccer because I know it's kind of a big deal and I'm more receptive to it. And it's the same way. Like, we, we can invite people to church this coming week, and they're going to be receptive to it because they know what's going on. And so my encouragement is just kind of forget about the unwritten rules, forget about what people might think, and, and, and go out there. And I'm not saying be weird. I'm just saying be mission-minded and, and see what might transpire. 
I mean, what's, what's the worst that can happen? It's not like we live in North Korea. We, we live in North Carolina. And, and, and so probably the worst that's going to happen is someone's going to say, no thanks. But on the other hand, initiating a conversation can lead to life change. And, and that's exactly what we see happening here. Jesus makes use of this woman's bewilderment and it proceeds to turn her shock into curiosity. He, he, he turns the tables on her. She's thinking she has the upper hand here. She, you know, she's the one with the bucket. This guy's asking her for something. She's considering whether or not she's going to help out this, this needy Jewish man. And Jesus, by his response, shows that the very opposite is the case. He says that, that, that she's the one in need. That, that she's actually the one that's thirsty, and he's the fountain that can satisfy her need. And so Jesus answered her. He said this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is, this is a gentle rebuke. He says, you know, I, I asked you for ordinary water, and you hesitate. But, but if you had asked me for living water, which is far better, I would have given it to you at once. Hey, but that, that's okay. You know, no hard feelings here. Because you didn't know the gift of God. And, and you didn't know who it was that, that, that you're talking with. And Jesus isn't trying to be like cryptic or confusing here. He's the master teacher. And he, he's using... These, these physical realities to impart spiritual truths. He's giving her something that she can ruminate on, something that she can dwell on, something that she can reflect and, and roll around in her mind. Jesus says, he says, if you knew the gift of God, that's condition number one, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, that's condition number two, Jesus' identity, you would have asked him, that's condition number three. So when these three conditions are met, what happens? Jesus gives living water. That's the result. The gift of God is living water. And now we're kind of left in suspense here. We're wondering, okay, what's going to happen with this woman? Is, is she going to come to figure out the gift of God and, and, and the one who gives it? And is she going to ask for it? And the woman is curious at this point. She's interested. But she's still operating under the assumption that Jesus is talking about physical water. She doesn't realize that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Living water is this, is, it's, it's a play on words. She's thinking Jesus is offering her spring water. The water that's bubbling up from the very bottom of this deep well. You know, the good stuff. Not the water that's kind of standing at the top of the well. And so with this very puzzled look on her face, she says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She's perplexed. Jesus has no rope bucket, and even if he had one, this well is deep. Where's, where's he going to get this water? But then she asks a very wise question. She wonders about the greatness 
of the one who's talking to her. She wonders about his identity, and so she begins to satisfy one of the conditions that's necessary to receive this living water. And Jesus responds by indicating that he is indeed greater than Jacob. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus says, well, you know, as a matter of fact, actually, I I am greater than Jacob because the water that I have to offer is superior to the water that Jacob offers. You see, water from Jacob's well can't prevent one from becoming thirsty again. But the water that Jesus offers brings lasting satisfaction. It enters the soul and remains as a source of, of inner fulfillment. It doesn't disappear whenever you drink it. It's like a spring that keeps bubbling up. And at this point, the woman is aware that Jesus is talking about a very special kind of water, and she's ready to take a chance. She says, sir, give me this water so that I not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But her response reveals that she doesn't yet understand what she's asking for. She's thinking that Jesus is offering some kind of like magic water that will make it possible for her to, to never be physically thirsty again. So she won't have to visit the well anymore. She yearns for this, this water that will, that will quench her thirst. But the problem is she doesn't yet understand her, her deeper thirst and the spiritual nature of the gift that Jesus is offering. So Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now this might seem like a total non sequitur. Right? They, they, they've been like talking about water, and now all of a sudden Jesus has this really random and awkward request. Like, what's going on here? Is Jesus having a senior moment? Is he, is he like not really good at conversation? He's just abruptly changing gears? No. There's continuity to this. The woman has asked for living water, but before Jesus can give it to her, she needs to understand what it is. She's been thinking on a physical plane, and Jesus wants to take it deeper. If the woman desires living water, then there must be a thirst for this water. And this is Jesus' way of saying, let's talk about your soul thirst. And in a very compassionate way, he goes and he puts his finger on why she needs the gift of God. And it's very interesting to see how this woman responds to Jesus' request. This woman who's been so talkative suddenly offers this curt, forward reply. She says, I have no husband. That's it, you know? She throws up her guard. She doesn't want to be exposed. And ever since the fall, you know, this is all of our tendency when it comes to our sin. You know, we might not go and we might not sow fig leaves for ourselves, But our tendency is to hide it, to cover up, to try and minimize it, to bury it. But here's the thing. When Jesus, when he comes and he puts his finger on our sin, it's because he wants to convict us. And conviction is what leads to repentance. And then it's repentance that leads to us receiving the gift of God. You see, conversion 
is always going to be preceded by conviction. And so Jesus presses in. He says to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And, and if you're picturing Jesus ending this statement with like a mic drop, you're, you're, you're missing the, the, the compassionate nature of this confrontation. Jesus lays bare the immorality in her life in order to help her realize what living water is and why she needs it. He says, come on, you, you know what living water is. It, it, it's what you've been looking for in love and all these serial relationships with men. You're trying to quench your soul thirst. And you know, this is all of us. All of us are born with the soul thirst. We might not try to quench our soul thirst with relationships, but all of us have ways of trying to deal with this emptiness in our souls. And so we go looking for something to numb the pain. This woman was looking to satiate her thirst in the arms of another. And, and many of us will try and, and quench our thirst in this way or through physical pleasure or through drugs or alcohol. But oftentimes our approach doesn't involve anything illicit. See, we can take very like good things, legitimate things like work or money or family and try to get our soul thirst quenched through them. But God never intends for us to take good things and try and turn them into ultimate things. And so we, we can go and we can look to closing the deal or making a certain salary or getting into a certain school or acquiring a specific home as a means of quenching our soul thirst. But it's never enough. It never works because you have to keep coming back to the well. It's, it's why this woman is on her sixth long-term relationship. Here's what happens whenever we look to, to anything other than God to satisfy our soul thirst. It's never enough. You're going to have to keep coming back to the well. But in the end, you still have the same soul thirst that needs quenching. And the answer isn't another man or another promotion or another raise or a different house or better vacations. The answer is the gift of God. The living water that satisfies our souls is Jesus giving us his spirit. The Spirit of God. That's the gift of God. And we receive that gift. We're invited to have fellowship, to have communion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And before we can receive this living water that Jesus offers, there must be a sense of guilt. There must be conviction of sin. And after having her sin exposed, this woman tries to deftly change the subject. She says, uh, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. In other words, okay, enough about me. Uh, let's talk about this other subject that I find more interesting. And you know, people do that today too. You, you're like, no, 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 let's, let's not talk about my sin. Let's not talk about my need for a savior. Let's talk about mm, denominational differences. Or, you know, let, let's talk about this question that I have from the, the religion class that I took in college. And, and Jesus just wants to get to the heart of the issue. And that's what we see him doing here. And you, you know what's interesting to me in this response that we're going to see? Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, both of our religions, they, they have elements of truth in them. So, 
you know, you just try your hardest to be a good person. And and as long as you have something that works for you, it's going to turn out okay in the end. You know, if if there ever was a time for Jesus to say, all religions are, are, are fundamentally the same and superficially different, this would have been it, wouldn't it have? But he doesn't do that. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is very pointed. He doesn't gloss over the errors of the Samaritan religion. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we Jews worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. In other words, God's plan to save mankind proceeds from the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. The Jewish faith was the trajectory through which God's saving activity had been at work in the world. And then Jesus talks about this monumental change that's coming. He says, I'm I'm inaugurating something new. And, and, And what matters isn't where you worship. True worshipers will worship in spirit. So it's not a matter of being in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing. It's not uh, external ritual. True worship is worship that comes from the heart, that comes from the depth of one's inner being. True worship must be inward instead of merely outward. But that's not enough. Because we're to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not an either-or proposition. Right worship is worship that's in full alignment with the truth that God has revealed in His Word. Our worship must be informed by what God has made known about Himself. You know, our culture wants to tell us that as long as we're sincere about what we believe, that's all that matters. And, and, And Jesus puts in a very helpful corrective here. He says, you know, how we worship and the object of our worship, these aren't things that are just left up to like arbitrary choice or personal taste. What God has made known about himself through his word, it matters. And it should inform how we worship. And something that Jesus said reminded this woman of a a promise of the coming Messiah. And she said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And I think a smile began to form on Jesus' face. And he looked this woman in the eye. And he sees the opportunity. And he just revealed his true identity. He said, I who speak to you am he. And at that point, the conversation gets interrupted by the return of the disciples. But we're told that the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, don't miss this. When this woman first meets Jesus, she calls him just a Jew. 
Then she addresses him as sir. Then in verse 19, she's convinced he's a prophet. But now she's wondering if he's the Christ. If he's the Messiah. If he's the Savior. And as we read on, we're led to believe that this woman recognized the gift of God and who it was that she was speaking with. And she received the living water that he offered, along with many others in her town. She received what Jesus offered. And this water, this living water, is available to all of us as well. You know, Jesus isn't stingy with it. His invitation is for all who are thirsty to come and to drink. And my question for you is, what are you looking to, to satisfy your soul thirst? Are you trying to to quench your thirst by drinking from the well of success, or beauty, or athleticism, or prosperity? You can try these things, but it's never going to be enough. It, It might temporarily dull an ache in your soul and give you a momentary high. It might give a temporary buzz, but that's it. Only the water that Jesus offers will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus gave us a very tangible way of remembering the goodness of this gift. It's a meal that we call the Lord's Supper. And it reminds us of the events that we will observe this coming week. That coming hour that that Jesus alluded to in his conversation with the woman, the coming hour that makes everything possible for you and I to receive eternal life and to become true worshipers. We can receive the gift of God because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And these elements that we're about to partake, that we're about to receive, they remind us that it's only because of Jesus' death and our place that we can receive forgiveness of sins and that we can inherit eternal life. This meal, it not only reminds us of Jesus' death on our place, but at the same time, it also reminds us of all the benefits that we receive as a result of that. We're, we're assured of our, of our right relationship with our Creator, that, that that relationship has been restored, and that we're able to experience the life of Christ through the transforming power of His Spirit, living in us. On the eve of his crucifixion, while he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In a moment when we distribute these elements, I'll just mention that they're available to all who have placed their faith in Jesus. And if you haven't done that yet, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do so. We're going to have time for silent prayer. And then afterwards, I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer. And I'll give you the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if that's a decision that you're not ready to make yet, uh, when, when the elements are distributed, you can just pass them to the next person. 
And I hope this time will be beneficial for you as you think about, as you reflect on who Jesus is and the gift that he offers. After we've all received the, the bread and the cup, I'll mention that if you have need for, for any prayer in your life, you can come forward and there'll be folks that are up here that would love to pray with you after you've received the cup. And after we've all received communion, I'll come up and I'll close us in a benediction and then when we exit the sanctuary, you'll find baskets on the way out where you can leave your hey, I'm here cards, which we always appreciate, and uh, any tithes and offerings you might have as well. Let's go to the Lord now in a time of silence. God, how we thank you for your great love for us and your plan to redeem us to yourself. And we are conscious of our own sin and the depths, the sacrifice that you made to forgive our sins and to draw us to yourself. And we thank you for the free gift of salvation and the way that you want to satisfy our deepest longings. Thank you for inviting us to have fellowship with you through your Son and by your Spirit. If you're here and you've never made a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. You can just pray a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I recognize you to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one who brings salvation. Thank you for paying my debt on the cross and offering me complete forgiveness and your perfect righteousness. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you have power over death. I want to receive the living water that you offer. I turn from my sin, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Amen.